The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise, I always do, that you're in the right place. The buzz today, honk, honk, beep, beep, maybe it should be beep, beep, honk, honk. Those of you say, well, that sounds familiar. Yeah, Shades of the Late Great Donna Summer, a lyric, I think, from Bad Girls, but let me get started. From traffic congestion and city street potholes, ugh, I'm in New York, from air pollution to crime prevention and apprehension, from dispatching on-time emergency services for any kind of local crisis to urgent care delivery for the elderly and homeless, from general connectivity issues to reliable access to emergency information, what have I just given you? A list of problems waiting to be solved in major cities around the world and the wannabe on their way to hopefully becoming major cities, if that's something that's going on today. Basically, there is no shortage of problems and they need to be solved. So big question on the table. You know you're listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers. Can the IOT, shorthand for Internet of Things, help? Well, the answer is yes. So we're going to tell you all about it. Smart cities, that's a term. If you have heard it, look it up, get familiar with it. Smart cities already taking advantage of this technology are leveraging the Internet of Things to gather real-time information from across their cities. What does this do for them? Well, it gives them data. That's right. You turn information into usable data, and they use it to identify small problems before they become big and to find sustainable solutions for big problems that were too big to tackle until now. So there's hope across the board. So what can we look forward to seeing at the intersection of cities and the Internet of Things. We have a panel of two experts. All we need is two because these guys are so smart and so interested in smart cities and are bringing us such great information. It just takes two to fill a panel today. I'll just tell you who they are quickly before I introduce them with their quotes. W. David Stevenson from Stevenson Strategies is back. He's been on several of our Game Changer shows. Always wonderful to speak with him. And Ira Burke, Vice President of Solutions Go to Market at SAP. At least that's the latest title on the latest billboard I passed on the LIE last night. Um, Ira is back and he is one of the sponsors of this series. So let me get started introducing David again. David Stevenson sent me a wonderful quote, sent me a wonderful quote from Elon Musk. If anybody is hiding under a rock, let me just tell you that Elon 
Reeve Musk, M-U-S-K, is a South African-born Canadian-American. Well, there's a polyglot of, of cultures for you and cities. He's a business magnate, an engineer, inventor, and investor. He's the CEO and CTO, Chief Technology Officer of SpaceX, CEO and product architect of Tesla Motors. That's what you all know him for, and chairman of Solar City. And in case you're wondering, at the ripe old age of 44, yes, he was born in 1971, he is worth this year, according to Forbes, $13 billion. But I digress. Here's the quote. If you get up in the morning and think the future is going to be better, it is a bright day. Otherwise, it's not. <laughs> David Stevenson, this sounds like a Yogi Berraism, and he just passed away on Tuesday night. How are you, David? I'm fine, Bonnie. Yeah, that does sound like something that... that Doesn't it really? Yeah, yeah I, just... Um, the reason I chose that one is I just read a phenomenal biography um, of Elon Musk, and that's the title of it, Elon Musk. And um, uh, <laughs> I have, have to say that he probably ranks up there, um, maybe even surpasses Steve Jobs as a genuinely uh, unpleasant person. Um, <laughs> I would n- not want to work for him, but he absolutely produces amazing results. And the reason why I chose that for today is that um, his, he, he literally does revolutionize whole industries, cars, um, the uh, space exploration field, and most recently the solar field. And he, um, he does that by not being satisfied with incremental change. And I was thinking about that the other day. Uh, when it comes to the IoT, that there are a lot of wonderful things that the IoT can do to improve mm. what we're already doing. But I hope we, as it evolves, we don't settle for that and that we really exploit the full potential of the IoT for really radical transformation. And I believe that's really possible. And cities are a great place to do it. They certainly are. A very interesting comment about Elon Musk, and I don't want to get too deep into those waters, David, but interesting. Uh, I don't know if a lot of people knew the backstory of what kind of a human being or person, personality Steve Jobs was, and that's certainly something they are heavily outing, if I may say that, with the new movie, Steve Jobs. So very interesting. And uh, it, it brings to bear a question, David, of brilliance and humanity and authenticity and being able to be as brilliant as these two men are and tackling the problems of the world in their various shades and forms all over the globe and being likable and whether being likable is it could even belong in the same persona with brilliance and as you said elon musk gets the job done he delivers he gets results just a quick uh, personality com- question from you david what do you think can being likable and a nice guy it coexist with this kind of brilliance well you know it's interesting the uh, the uh, author of the book speculates on that and i had as i was reading it i was thinking hmm this guy has got to be on the asperger's uh, uh, uh range and um he said yeah that might be it but there is and i Unfortunately, I can't remember it, but there is another diagnosis for extremely, extremely creative people um, that uh, might fit him. And, uh, you know, it's funny because uh, I'd like to think that you could 
bring about this kind of transformation even more so if you were mm-hmm. actually nice to people. Um, but, you know, the, when you look at the two of those guys, um, the, the record is pretty strong that um, they did it by, by really being extreme and, and uh, demanding superhuman effort on the part of people. I just I don't like the way uh, either one of them used people up and spit them out. So. Mm, well, you know, you've heard, I'm sure, many times the recently the phrase, uh, the the most dangerous two words in the English language and perhaps in other languages, good job. Remember that from the movie Whiplash? And and other yeah. people have said that. And, and maybe it's that not settling for more. And in fact, David, and I'll introduce Ira Burke in just a second. In fact, maybe it's that push for the impossible, that push for the risk-taking, that push for... How can we think so completely outside the box that normal human beings don't even know what we're talking about and can't even grasp it because they're thinking, oh, would everybody like that idea? Maybe that consensus-driven concept of, of working is not amenable to what, what we're trying to do here and talking today about smart cities, smart streets, and the application of IoT for good, for good use. So thank you very much for a very provocative opening. Sorry to digress there, but I thought it was an interesting sidebar. David, and welcome back again. And your partner in crime today, mentioning crime from the opening, is Ira Burke. Ira's VP of Solutions Go to Market at SAP. And Ira has brought a quote from somebody equally provocative, I believe. It's Guy Kawasaki. Those of you scratching your head, gee, that sounds familiar. Well, yes. Uh, he is a Silicon Valley marketing executive, and Guy was one of the Apple employees originally responsible for marketing the Macintosh back in, wait for it kids, 1984. He has founded many organizations including Alltop, Garage Technology Ventures, sound familiar, and No No Nina Incorporated. I don't know what they do, but maybe we'll find out. And here's the quote, patience, oh my goodness, patience is the art of concealing your impatience. Ira Burke, this goes so beautifully hand-in-hand hand with what we're talking about. How are you, Ira? And Lashana Tova. <laughs> and Lashana Tova to you and to uh, all of our listeners. And, uh, and Bonnie, thank you. It's, uh, you know, I was thinking about this quote in relation to our, uh, into our topic because what, once you understand what, uh, what the Internet of Things can deliver, uh, you're impatient to see it all working already. And, of course, we have a little ways to go before that happens. But the... Uh, the, the, the strength and the impetus embedded in his quote I thought was really interesting. But what I really want to do is go back to, to David's topic for a minute. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I, I didn't have a chance to read Elon Musk's book, but I did have a chance to take a tour of his factory in California where they're building the mm-hmm. Teslas. Yeah, Ooh, together with the colleagues us. from SEP and from Apogee. And, uh, you know, this, this, the building by itself is, uh, we could probably do a whole, uh, whole episode about. This is the facility where they're building the Teslas is the same facility where, you know, a couple of decades back, new United Motors between GM and Toyota were building cars. Right. And a few decades before that, it was a not very good GM plant that was just, you know, famous for all kinds of trouble. And so you think about what uh, happened over the course of history. You walk through the Tesla plant now, and, and, you know, you can eat off the floors. Everything is spotless. Everything is bright. Everything is clean. And you see step by step how simply these cars are put together, right? It's, you know, it, it's, uh, it's unbelievable from this, you know, neat lightweight frame to where the batteries are going to be sitting in the base and the top dropping on and the tires being put into simple, simple assembly process. And I was walking through, I was remembering the one other time 
that I was able to tour an automotive assembly plant, and that was uh, back in the 1980s in Framingham, Massachusetts. And, mm-hmm. and the two could not have been more, uh, more different. We've come a long way in how, uh, and how cars are put together, and if that factory is any indication of where we're heading into the future. Uh, that looks really bright for how uh, cleanly and simply uh, something like a car, like an advanced car, can be put together. And, and wow. And, and Ira, let's, let's get you to reflect just a minute on, on the quote, so important, patience is the art of concealing your impatience. This, this, I think, goes to the heart of what we're talking about with the brilliance of people like Steve Jobs and Elon Musk and, and uh, perhaps Guy Kawasaki uh, in terms of having that vision to say there's technology, it's either in development or it's half-baked or it's coming down the pike so fast we cannot ignore it. We have to build something around it and, and we have to find the good in it. Do you think that that's part of, of the cities, and, and we're try, I'm trying to segue into our topic here, part of the people who were using IoT, the Internet of Things, to make their cities and their streets smart, that they may be impatient but for the sake of consensus or just getting somebody to sign the damn check, they have to <laughs> pretend that they're patient. What do you think? I think I, 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 I mean I, I feel for him. I think we're always pretending that we're patient when we're trying to get something done, um, especially when there are so many uh, so many players involved. Um, of course, what, what tends to succeed are the small projects, the demonstrations, taking things step by step, and before you know it, you've got something big and powerful in place. So, with a little bit of patience, some, suddenly these barriers can fall away. Uh, and I think it's a, it's a good reward for a small amount of patience, but it is really hard to wait. Yeah, it is hard to wait. And we're going to be talking about the urgency of using the models of some smart cities. And uh, I've already put out on Twitter, by the way, we're tweeting at hashtag SAP Radio. I asked the question about an hour ago, what city gets your vote for the smart city? And I'll tell you after the break what David Stevenson said, and then we're going to be talking about that as one of the the key critical points here in our conversation. But David Stevenson, you know I'm curious, and you know I want to know. I'm I'm impatient, basically, so it's time for me to ask, what's in your cup today? What are you drinking right now during the show, or what are you planning to drink after that's just fascinating about you? Tell me, David. Oh, Bonnie, um, I used to have a um, radically over-engineered one of those... um, combo units that both uh, ground the coffee and then made it, and uh-huh. now I got this elegant, um, uh, it's actually from uh, Italy, but it's a French press, um, you know, it's just the glass cylinder, and you put the grounds mm-hmm. in the bottom, and put the boiling water in, and let it steep for five minutes, and pour it out. The, um, uh, the essence of, of uh, elegance and simplicity and so I'm having a cup of uh, Pete's um, uh, French roast made with that uh, French press today. Sounds lovely. Yes, simplicity and elegance. I like that. Maybe we can weave that concept into our conversation later. Very good, David. And Ira Burke, what drinkest thou? Well, yeah, about uh, two weeks ago was my wife's birthday, and I, I was having a little bit of trouble deciding um, or finding really what, what to get. Um, and what caught my attention was the new um, the Revo machine. This is uh, a new machine from Keurig that can uh, make espresso cappuccino. It steams the milk. It makes the coffee out of a little 
you know, special pot of espresso coffee. I was a little bit nervous about whether or not it would be good. Um, I brought it home. Uh, she loved it as a birthday present. She's had a, you know, a coffee or latte or cappuccino from it every morning. She suspects that I might not have bought it just for her. Um, and, and that's what's in my cup uh, right now as well. But I'm not making any confessions. You're not make well. We don't. Well, you can't make confessions now because we just had Yom Kippur yesterday, and it's way too early to to even think about something that needs to be confessed. I'm looking here at the. It's called the Revo R I V O Brewing System. Authentic. Ah, here's some good words, David. Authentic, fresh, and simple. Didn't we just talk about that in terms of? Uh, <laughs> yep. Yes, yes. What you were doing with your Italian French press? We're getting a lot of uh, a lot of authenticity mixed up here. Uh, it's named okay. Ira, the Keurig Revo system is named after the Italian word for, do you know the word, Ira? Revolutionary. That's it. Oh, boy. Pop quiz. We popped that one. The simplicity of Keurig technology enables you to brew espresso and froth any type of fresh milk at the top of a button. Add over a century of roasting experience from Lavazza, and you have the perfect cappuccino or latte. Simple, quick, and easy. And that's revolutionary. I feel like I'm doing an ad for them. <laughs> Perish the thought. Well, you know what? I, I still haven't told everybody exactly what the topic is today. We're calling it Smart Cities, Smart Streets, IOT, Internet of Things, to the rescue. Very delighted to, can I be very delighted? Yes, I can. To have W. David Stevenson, and he lets us call him David because we're all old friends, and Ira Burke here as our two panelists. We have so much to talk about, and if you happen to be listening right now to us live, or even if you're listening to the replay later on, we'd love to hear from you at hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. What's your vote for the smart city with the smartest streets or any combination thereof? We'd love to hear that. When we come back, David is going to tell us what his nomination is for the smart city, and then we will rock and roll through a great conversation. I don't know if anybody's going to be surprised, but I'll give you one clue. It's not in North America. Let's just leave that one alone. So you're listening to the Internet of Things with Game Changers Radio. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We are live. It's Thursday, September 24th. I used to ask, where is the year going now? It's it's like it already went. I don't know. We're getting ready for holidays already. A comedian friend of mine said, fall is here. That means Christmas decorations will be in the store in the next 24 hours. Yes, they will. What can I tell you? Okay, we're going to take a quick break. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Justin, out. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Insights from totally new sources of data, sensors that capture and share what is happening in your business environment, and the tools to understand it and act on it. These are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Internet of Things with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
You're listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Internet of Things with Game Changers. Welcome back. Our very provocative and I think exciting topic today is Smart Cities, Smart Streets, IOT, Internet of Things, to the rescue. Maybe at a future time I won't have to keep explaining what IOT is because everybody will know it like ABC. And our panelists today are W. David Stephenson from Stephenson Strategies. I'll spell his last name if you want to look him up, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S-O-N. And he's joined on the panel by Ira Burke at SAP. And Ira Burke spells his last name B-E-R-K if you want to look him up. All kinds of interesting information for my panelists online. We've already had quotes from Elon Musk and Guy Kawasaki to start off our show, and now it's time to find out the mystery question. David Stephenson, who is your candidate, your nominee, your verifiable winner of the Smart City? If we had a contest, who would be your winner? Where is it? Go ahead, David. Da 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 da. Barcelona. <laughs> Ah, okay. Tell me why. I already know why because I looked it up. But tell me what's so special for you about Barcelona. Why do you think it is the smartest of the smart cities today? Sure, Bonnie. Um, for one thing, they've embraced it from the top down. It got a lot of uh, of support from um, the city administration, and uh, they see it as a real key uh, amongst other things, to their economic future, as well as um, being able to run the city much more effectively than they have. And if you Google um, Barcelona and smart, and smart Cities, you'll go to the page that they have where it shows this amazing array of apps and services that they have already come up with just in the last couple of years to exploit the power of the IoT, two of them that jump out at me. Um, one of them is with a, um, a pendant that uh, I think the numbers are something like 600,000 seniors wear that allow mm-hmm. them to um, track their, the uh, seniors' uh, health and see if there's uh, an emergency. And then also uh, in line with... Um, uh, title for today's show, there's a great app that they have that allows you to um, pay for your parking space with your smartphone. And, uh, and, and then there's just a whole range of other things. And also a very important company that um, it's not mentioned on that site, but um, one of the most creative IoT companies, I think, in the world uh, that's based there is Lebellion. Uh, a wonderful young woman, um, Alicia uh, Asin, who's their president. And they, um, amongst other things on their site, they've got um, a whole range of uh, lists of, of cool applications of the IoT. And um, fortunately, they've made Barcelona um, a test bed for uh, a lot of those devices as well. So they're, they're eating their own dog food. And that's what's so important, David, uh, is that they figured it out, 
and they're not just stopping with one way to use it. That's what I was impressed right. with, David. Uh, you sent me a great yep. link. Let me just read the link over the air, and then I will put it on Twitter, hashtag SAP Radio. It's smartcity, S-M-A-R-T-C-I-T-Y, one word, dot B-C-N, which is the, the code, the three-letter code for Barcelona, dot B-C-N, dot C-A-T, forward slash E-N for English, and I'm sure they have it in other languages as well. Uh, they have so many components of their smart city configuration, I'll call it. Uh, they have something called Apps4, the number 4 BCN. It's a portal where you can find the best apps for living in Barcelona. So that's lifestyle. They've got a new bus network. As David mentioned, they have something called Telecare, which is providing 24-7, 365 service for free to more than 70,000 seniors and other people with either disabilities or who are dependent on others who live or spend most of their time alone. They have open data. They have electric vehicles. Vehicles. Uh, comments here for electric vehicles. We talked about this on, on several of our radio shows. They have 300 free public charging points distributed across the city. That's free to charge your electric vehicle. They have 180 additional points in municipal car parks. And they have something called Live Logistics for Electric Vehicle Implementation. It's a platform created to boost electric transport in the city and the metropolitan area. They have smart traffic lights that emit a sound for blind people and provide green corridors for the fire brigade vehicles. That's what we call fire engines here. They have school routes. They have mobile ID. If you need a smartphone with an internet connection to download your mobile ID, it's all over the city. They have Barcelona Wi-Fi with 193 municipal facilities at 276 street sites with a total of almost 500 access points for the largest free access public Wi-Fi network in Spain and one of the most important in the world. They have M schools. They have a radar project. They have something called Shared Bicycles, B-I-C-I-N-G. They have, uh, oh, I don't know, super blocks and irrigation systems. David, this didn't just happen overnight. What kinds of meeting of the minds, and let's use the word from the guy Kawasaki quote, what kind of patiently masked impatience had to happen to make all this come together and it's 2015, and so many cities have to catch up. What do you think is so special about the minds that had to meet to make this happen in Barcelona, David? Well, Bonnie, I'd go back to uh, Elon Musk and Steve Jobs. The thing that is really a dramatic difference between um, the Internet of Things and the kind of stuff that those guys did is that was very, very much top-down. I mean, they just controlled... Uh, Musk, if I remember correctly, has to approve any expenditure over $10,000, okay? So, real control freaks. And um, when, I, when I blogged the other day about this issue, I, um, I quoted uh, Kevin Kelly, who wrote one of the greatest books I've seen um, in years. Uh, actually, it's 20 years old this year, and uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's as relevant today as it was then called Out of Control, and um, he talks in there uh, about um, uh, his new rules for the new economy, and the number one of those rules was embrace the swarm. As power flows away from the center, the competitive advantage belongs to those who learn how to embrace decentralized points of control. Now, as that applies to cities, um, cities <laughs> in literally and figuratively are out of control. Um, mm -hmm. They're just too complex, too many players, too many 
different things, you know, whatever, to ever be able to control them from the top down. So what smart people are doing is that they are trying, they're getting away from top-down control. So, in fact, Bonnie, I think um, that the lesson from Barcelona um, and from others is you don't just get a few people in a room and, um, and, and bring about this kind of transformation. And I trace it to actually uh, a U.S. city, and uh, I was uh, fortunate enough to um, play a tangential role in this, and that was in the District of Columbia in Washington uh, in 2008 when Vivek Kundra, who later on became the first CIO of the United States, was the CTO of the district. And he and Mayor Fenty um, had this very risky and brilliant uh, strategy of releasing on a real-time basis. So not, not a delay, wasn't analyzed first, and then they, they um, uh, disclosed whatever statistics worked to their advantage. No, it was real-time data from about 40 different uh, databases, everything from, if you imagine this, roadkill <laughs> uh, to, um, <laughs> to traffic and crime. And then they had, and, and this is sort of the essence of this out-of-control thinking, um, rather than um, putting people together in a room and dictating how, what, how these databases were going to be used, they held a contest called Apps for Democracy. And uh-huh. um, there were three rules. You had to use one of their databases, duh, you know, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one was it had to be sort of generally construed as being in the public interest. And the third was it had to be open source. And the reason for that is that it's now allowed, stemming from what D.C. did in 2008 and going forward, um, other cities all around the world have followed suit and opened up this data. And that data becomes um, the... uh, the subject matter for, amongst other things, a lot of really cool IoT apps. And so um, top-down, when it comes, I think when it comes to the IoT in general, but specifically when it relates to cities, um, top-down just doesn't work. You have to give up control and let things emerge. Thank you, David. I want to get Ira in on this before we get too too far entrenched in the Barcelona thing. Ira, do you have a vote for best smart city or smartest city, if you will, before we move to the second part of our topic, which is smart streets? Ira, um, what do you, you think? You know, so there are a few possibilities, right? I remember uh, you know, we, we lived in London around uh, you know, 1998, 1999, and even then we were starting to see some elements of, of smart city come together, right? At that time, you could even look on the underground and see when the next train was coming, to come, you know, was coming along and soon afterward with the buses, helping kind of manage your life a little bit by using sensors to tell you what's happening around you. Uh, but I think one of the most interesting examples is uh, Singapore, right? And, uh, and the thing about Singapore is that it's a densely populated space. It's not getting any bigger. And when you're looking for opportunities to continue to grow, and to innovate, and you've got very fixed constraints. The IoT is presenting a uh, really important avenue 
for people who are going to, uh, to, to make an investment to improve the quality of life, to continue improving it, to manage the congestion, and to make it appealing for more businesses, uh, more people to, uh, to be there and to operate there and to, uh, and to grow the economy. So, uh, so Singapore, I think, is a really interesting example, even visually. Right? Um, I was there uh, for the first time about, about a year ago. And, um, and you see, one of the things you see are these smart, uh, these super trees, right, that they've created, which are massive, massive um, things that are sort of looking like trees. They're much bigger than trees. Uh, they're a little bit scary, like you landed on the wrong planet. Um, mm-hmm. But, the, uh, but the, uh, the sensors that are, uh, that are embedded and the information they're capturing and the work they're doing, uh, just with that one example, let alone the sensors that they used <clears throat> to manage traffic, to manage congestion, to know where the taxis are, to know where mm-hmm. the trains are, and to, and to keep tabs on what's happening in the city, um, are, are in, in measurable ways starting to improve uh, the quality of life and the opportunities for growth. So, uh, Ira, quality of life example. and sensors, and you used the term keeping tabs. Let's talk about the question mark side. The big brother and big <laughs> sister and mommy and daddy are watching you, me, us. And there is a TV show on, uh, I don't watch it anymore. It got a little too weird for me, my taste, but person of interest about this huge super set of, of computers that basically use hidden cameras all over the world to know every move you make at any point in time. They can identify you and everything about you. Just tap, tap it, and you're on somebody's screen, and they know everything. So let, let's get away from that fiction level, or maybe we're not that far away. But, Ira, let's, we, we have to talk just for a minute before we get into your discussion of uh, Michael, Michael Goodwin's review of Samuel Schwartz. I think we're turning this show into a book review, uh, and the book is Street Smart, The Rise of Cities and the Fall of Cars, and the review is in the Wall Street Journal this week. But I wanted to get a plug for that first. But, Ira, what do you see about the downside in terms of, and you know how suspicious New Yorkers are, why wouldn't we be after 9-11, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, how are people, wouldn't people embrace that if they knew that we had these smart trees <laughs> lining up on <laughs> during a major parade on Fifth Avenue? It's like, oh, my God, it's, it can tell what color socks I wore. It knows my shoelaces don't. It knows what I had for breakfast. What's the mayor doing watching my data? Ira, seriously, would, would New Yorkers allow, talking about patience and patience, leadership and, and seeing your vision and not waiting for people to give you consensus, what about the human side of IoT? Is it scary? Is it threatening? Um, or is it good? Well, I, th- I think if it's misused, of course it is. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the, the most important thing um, that I think we fail to do that we can do is to be a little bit more transparent about what's happening. Right? Um, you know, the, you know, the London example, right? People have known for a long time that there's a camera pointed basically at every step you take on every street in the city. Um, and New York isn't too far behind. Um, mm-hmm. As long as people understand what information is being captured, how it's being used, why it's being used, it's going to be captured. It's almost inevitable. Right? There's so many ways and so many different people and companies and technologies uh, and, and agendas for uh, capturing information. It is going to be captured. And the key is to make sure that people understand that it's being captured, can see how it's being used, can react if it's being used inappropriately, and can have a stake in managing it uh, and, and putting you know, whatever, uh, whatever framework around it is going to make sense. But it, it doesn't seem like something that can be easily stopped. Would you say there is no such thing as privacy anymore? Uh, it depends. I, I, I'm pretty sure that even if uh, the mayor of New York can see what I had for breakfast, he probably doesn't <laughs> care. 
<laughs> you might be surprised. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> good, good point. Ira, 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 let's talk about, uh, and I'll get to, all right, David, one line. You agree with the, the, that some cities may not want this much so-called observation. I didn't say invasion of privacy. This much IoT marking everything or recording everything they did for somebody's posterity. Uh, quickly, David, what do you think? Good or bad? Bonnie, one of my favorite factoids at this is there are uh, 32 CCTV cameras within 200 yards of George Orwell's flat in London. Uh, so, uh, it's everywhere. Um, Only 200. And, you know, this just brings me back to one. I've, I've mentioned this um, on the show before that um, the uh, only U.S. Uh, official who um, early on was really enthusiastic about the IoT was David Petraeus when he was heading the um, CIA because they said, in essence, in the past, we'd have to go to court and get a um, court order in order to put uh, bugs in your house. And now all we do mm-hmm. is just watch uh, the data stream that you're <laughs> spewing out all the time. Um, I think that... Um, security and privacy have to be job number one when it comes to the IoT because um, if you lose, I used to do corporate crisis management, and I remember from that that if you lose public confidence, it's very, very fragile, and if you lose it, it's really, really hard to rebuild it. And the public isn't going to distinguish between um, responsible uh, companies and institutions when it comes to the IoT, and then some of particularly the startups that just don't really seem to uh, care about it at all. And so the whole industry uh, could really um, be destroyed. Now, that's why I'm very encouraged by uh, the growing number of alliances of uh, companies in the IoT space that are coming together specifically around the issue of baking in privacy and security. It can't be an afterthought. Absolutely can't. Thank you. Good good points in there. Uh, and by the way, I have to mention the book that David Stevenson mentioned a few minutes ago is Out of Control, The New Biology of Machines, Social Systems, and the Economic World. It's still in paperback from 1995. The author is Kevin Kelly, no middle initial. And a quick comment, Out of Control chronicles the dawn of a new era in which the machines and systems that drive our economy are so complex and autonomous as to be indistinguishable from living things. So let's leave that book aside if you're interested in it, and let's look at a new book, Street Smart, right on topic, The Rise of Cities and the Fall of Cars. It's a hardcover book by Samuel, middle initial I, Schwartz, S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z, and it was released on September 8, 2015, and Ira Burke is going to talk to us about Michael Goodwin's review of Schwartz's book in the Wall Street Journal just this week on the 21st of September. And by the way, Schwartz, the author, is a former New York City traffic commissioner known as Gridlock Sam, (laughs) and that's his blog, gridlocksam.com. And Ira says he makes the case for people in cities to stop using cars and how the IoT can help. That's revolutionary. I don't know if it's evolutionary, but that's revolutionary. Some of us still love our cars, even in Manhattan. Ira Burke, talk to me, Ira. <laughs> well, first of all, I drove in Manhattan just uh, just a few days ago, so I may not be the best exponent for 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 Jim Schwartz's uh, <laughs> theory. Right? It's uh, it tends to tends to be the fastest and easiest way for us to go. Um, 
But um, one thing I've noticed, you know, at Bonnie, you know, I live here in uh, Stamford, Connecticut. Yes. And we've been seeing uh, this remarkable increase in the number of people who are coming here because you don't need a car. Um, and uh, the, the amount of construction that's happening along the waterfront in the downtown area, it's, it's shocking, too. You know, we've, you know, we've been here for a little over 20 years. And, and these are all people who come specifically because everything they need, you know, a short walk to the train, uh, community inside their, uh, their building that they uh, you know, don't need to go out, you know, go far uh, to get anything, transportation provided locally and easy access mm-hmm. to New York. And, and so the, I think the, the trend, it may happen that people who are used to using a car don't give it up, but people who never had one may find that they're not mm-hmm. about to run out and get one. And so maybe this Good is a, a generational change that we're yeah. seeing. But part of it is also the, uh, the technology, right, that we see examples where, you know, it's just, you know, too many cars coming and need to be managed. And so an example from the, uh, that, was, that was in the Wall Street Journal review was in the city of Zurich, where the IoT is being used at some point to shut off the flow of cars into Zurich when they decide it's just getting too, uh, too crowded. And um, like, like a lot of things in the IoT, the main thing that's being created is information that you can... All right. Ira, I'm are you here. still with us? Ira dropped off for some reason. David, yeah, I'm going to have you... I, shall I fill are a little you... bit of air for a second? Hold on. Ira, are you back? I'm back. I'm not sure what that was, but... Uh, okay, we, we heard a little blip really and you stopped, but go ahead, finish, uh, back it up about two seconds, about about two sentences ago, and, and talk right. about Zurich. Let's pick it up with Zurich. Well, so, so, so Zurich, right, so, so this information becomes available, right? They have the technology now to be able to know how many cars are coming in, how many cars are going out, and so who knows what purpose that information can be used for. In this case, we know that they're using it to control congestion and to shut off the, uh, the flow of cars um, into the central part of the city. Um, but as more information, as more sensors, as more detailed information becomes available, we, you know, who knows how the information can be used uh, by, you know, in this case, by a government agency. But maybe, uh, maybe other people will find even more creative uses as it's being, uh, as it's being captured. Now, Ira, while we're, while we're on the topic of streets and roads, let's talk about something near and dear to, well, to you and me, because we're in neighboring states, New Jersey. Ah. Don't get me started, please. The New Jersey Turnpike, uh, David, I don't know if you're, you're ever around here, but that's a whole whole oh, yeah. city in itself. The New Jersey Turnpike oh, yeah. and the Garden State Parkway together, Ira sent me this information, form an incredibly complex transportation system with 325 miles of highway, which in some sections accommodate 14 lanes of traffic. Been there, seen that. Uh, Ira, I find it hard to believe it's only 325 miles because when you're on the turnpike at between exits <laughs> 7 and 8 in the morning between 7.30 and 9, o'clock it seems like five thousand miles because you are sitting there for an hour and going nowhere fast now you say on a typical day more than two million vehicles travel on the new jersey turnpike and garden state making it one of the busiest roadways in the u.s there are 28 interchanges on the pike at 359 entrances and exits on the parkway do the math so let's talk about what is the new jersey state government doing and what is this atmp advanced traffic management program is it possible in our lifetime that sensors could help this mess 
Ira Burke, well, let's be optimistic. Yeah, I, I, I certainly hope it's true because, you know, as, as you know, uh, working for SAP and being up here in Connecticut, the New Jersey Turnpike is, is a very important road for me if I want to get to, uh, to SAP U.S. headquarters. All right, that's, uh, mm-hmm. that's the road. So, so I, have a, uh, I have a good vested interest in seeing it, uh, in seeing it get better. Uh, and you can see it get better, really, uh, you know, for, from the sensor. So they do have much better centralized information right now. Right? So they have a command center that's been set up that shows them that on a real-time basis what's happening across the roadways, uh, which means they can take action. They can, you know, there are these new signs that have popped up along the road now, so you can you know, be warned when there are going to be traffic issues. You can make alternate plans. Um, one thing that I would hope to see, um, and that we've seen start to happen in some other cities, maybe we can get into a little bit, is mm-hmm. when they start sharing information uh, with the uh, with the apps that we use uh, to get from place to place. Right? I'm, I'm a big fan of the app uh, Waze for uh, mm-hmm. for finding a good route to get from one place to another. And Waze started out as as a really cool kind of standalone IoT concept. Right, it's gathering information from all the people who are running it on their phones to see where the roads are slow and where people are moving, and that's a great source of information. But combining that information with what you can get from the sensors in the roadway and the sensors in the, uh, you know, in, in the exits and in the toll booths and the other places along the road, now that becomes super powerful, right? And add to that the fact that tomorrow they're planning to close an exit for construction or that they're going to be reduced by a lane, and now you can get much, much smarter information coming to you to, uh, to make a better choice about how not to spend five hours going one mile down the New Jersey Turnpike. So maybe those are the kinds of things that we're going to see in the future that just make it much easier for, uh, for everyone uh, to not... Ira, I've got to interject for a second. Yes, um, go ahead, David. Mayor Marty Walsh just announced this morning in Boston, <laughs> uh, we've had a, a um, uh, relation, the city has had a relationship with Waze on a formal basis for a number mm-hmm. of months now, and it's turned out to be so valuable that now what they're going to do is they are going to, uh, and again, it's because of sharing this real-time information. You know, Waze is just absolutely incredible in that regard. And so now it's getting down to such a granular level that um, we have um, uh, mobile meter maids uh, on bikes uh, who cruise the downtown area, and using Waze now, they will be able to spot people who are double parked right away. And I think that's so cool because it's, you know, public-private partnership. And, um, and, and, you know, and the other thing is it's, it's actually uh, there's a, a third component to this, and, um, and that is you and me because uh, with Waze, we're the ones who are – uh, supplying the input that, um, you know, as we spot something, we're reporting it. And um, so you've got this incredibly cool thing. And, in fact, we have a uh, – in, in Boston, we've got this really cool agency called the uh, Mayor's Office of New Urban Mechanics. And um, uh, they have an app that's sort of in the same uh, spirit. Um, if I remember, it's called Speed Bump. Um, uh, at any rate, what you do is you put your phone on the passenger seat, and um, as you drive, it uh, takes a combination of data from your phone's uh, accelerometer and the GPS. And if you are unfortunate enough to hit a pothole, um, it instantly uh, reports 
that data to the DPW. So what I love about that is, in essence, you have made every single driver in Boston into a de facto employee of the DPW. And so they know where the the potholes are much more rapidly than they ever could have if they had to depend on their own workforce. That is really cool. That is cool. And I'm looking at the app here. It's cityofboston.gov, G-O-V. And if you go there, you will eventually find uh, under mobile apps, look for Street Bump. It's the third one down. They have BOS colon 311, Commonwealth Connect, and then Street Bump. Street Bump, a project of, and and I don't know if they familiarly, David, call it Mayor's Office of New Urban Mechanics, Monum. uh, Those are the initials. Helps residents improve their neighborhood streets as users drive. The mobile app collects data about the smoothness of the ride. Well, I got to tell you, we have had so many issues with potholes from the winter over a year ago, even from last winter here on Long Island, David, that it's it's just amazing that they can't find the money to repave roads. Sometimes they'll find money to pave the lanes, but not the parking lane. So you see a smooth surface. That happened here in Great Neck. You'll see a smooth surface, and then you will see the potholes toward the curb where people are parking. Uh, I have been working, trying to work through email with one of my local commissioners and legislators to get some significantly horrific potholes right outside my window here that produced when trucks go over them 24 hours a day for deliveries the most ear shattering it, it sounds like being in an inner city in a ghetto and this is the the north shore the gold coast of long island and it took me three months until finally a truck arrived with some paving materials and they filled in the pothole i walked outside it was just before a radio show i walked ran outside put my lipstick on put my pretty redhead smile on i shook the hand of the man on, on the machinery and i said thank you sir he said what are you thanking me for i said three months three months i've been waiting for somebody to stop haggling over who would pay for it and come and fill this pothole. Now, we're not talking about speed bump apps here, David. We're talking about email and phone calls and pulling your hair out. And I, and he said to me, oh, lady, you've been talking to the wrong people. I said, what are you talking about? My mayor, my legislator. He said, oh, that's crap. He said, call the Manhasset Department of Public Works garage and tell us you got a pothole and we'll be here the next day. I said, you've got to be kidding me. He said, no, we'll take care of it. No problem. I thanked him. I wanted to give him a hug, but he was kind of sweaty, and I ran inside to do my next radio show. Now, is that a story about the human the human aspects of non-IOT? Ira, what do you think of that? Um, so, so, look, I'm glad you finally found the way to get potholes repaired. And, uh, and, and David, since you're in Massachusetts, there's this big one just down the street from my parents' house that's already done damage to my son's car. And, uh, you know, so if you have any pull with, uh, with the Newton authorities, um, just before Newton South High School on Brandeis Road, I'd be, you know, that's when we really got to get fixed. Oh, we're getting specific here. You know what, Ira, I, I'm going to suggest to you, you have a few more episodes left in this series. Why don't you do a, a part two or part three or whatever we're on of this, Smart Cities, uh, because there's so much more to cover. And, of course, invite David back and maybe a third panelist so we get a different POV, uh, of a different voice uh, other than the three of us. I think that would be a great idea. But you know what? We are now arriving at the time of the show called the Crystal Ball Predictions Round. So 
Uh, maybe we should turn predictions into your wish list for uh, why don't we go to 2020, five years ahead. And David Stevenson, why don't we look ahead? You tell me if you like 2020. It's really up to you. It's your crystal ball. And tell me, what do you see that would be different? I'm going to give you a full 90 seconds. Wow, use it well. A full 90 seconds for what do you predict if if the meetings of the minds come together and they agree that IoT is maybe not a panacea, but certainly a forward way to put people together with data and come up with a better way of living in cities all over the world. What will happen in that future space? What will be different? David, go ahead, 90 seconds. Hey, Bonnie, I'm going to compress that time frame. I think it's going to be less than that. Amsterdam, uh, a group of uh, volunteers in the space of a month, created a uh, complete citywide IoT data-free data network um, using some new technologies last month. And um, they threw down the gauntlet of, you know, who else is going to do this? And after I blogged about it, I thought, damn it, I'm going to make sure Boston is the first city in the U.S. to do this. And we are in an effort right now to replicate this uh, in Boston, only we're not going to just settle for the downtown area as Amsterdam did. We're going to bring it to the neighborhoods as well. And the cool thing is that uh, this group in Amsterdam is supposed to announce this week, I believe, efforts on five continents to do the same thing. And what's so cool about this is it's virtuous competition, that um, everybody is united in um, deploying these free networks, and it's not the cities that are doing it, it's volunteers so that it can't be controlled by, you know, a city for its own means, but will be available for anybody. And I'm convinced that that is going to radically um, speed the adoption of IoT, not just uh, by smart cities, but by companies as well, because they're going to be able to harvest that data as well. So I think it's going to be a radical transformation and sooner rather than later. Amen. Thank you very much. Amen. I like that. I like that sooner rather than later. Uh, the, the Pope is here in New York, and he would appreciate that. Amen, I'm sure. I wonder what the Pope thinks about our city streets, but that's a whole other show. Ira Burke, 90 seconds, predictions. What do you see? What would you love to see coming ahead? Well, well, first of all, I really like the fact that David isn't just making a prediction, but actually going out and making it happen. So I think that's that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, we need to see more of that. And, and 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 it's the truth, right? This is this is evolving much more quickly than uh, than people really can uh, can recognize because there's so many opportunities to gather uh, to gather new information and to make use of it and to analyze it and to look at it in creative ways. So uh, I think just like you know, just like David woke up this morning and saw the announcement from Boston about using information from ways, um, that's uh, you know the IoT is like that. We wake up every morning and see something in the newspaper that's directly relevant to uh, to what's happening in IoT to new opportunities that are created by IoT. And I think that we're going to see that it becomes much easier to navigate, to manage in the cities. I think David is, is spot on that it's not a central planning effort that's going to make it happen, but a lot of small creative initiatives by individual people who pull together, who get information and use it in a creative way, create a new app, do a new analysis, marry two sources of information that have never been married before. And we can use that, and we will see that, uh, creating things uh, that make life much simpler, easier, more convenient, faster, cheaper, and smarter. And we're going to see that very soon. Olive eye.
<laughs> Ira gets that. Thank you very much. You know, sometimes with a two-person panel, you have to work really hard to fill the time. And with the two of you, you're such great talkers and so much great preparation for our topic today. Never an issue. David Stephenson, such a pleasure to speak with you again. Love your enthusiasm and all the good work you did before the show to give us some great points, places to go. Ira Burke, what can I say? I hope you're going to be on all of the upcoming episodes because it's always a pleasure, Ira. So I think we're ready to sign off. We have just about a minute left. Ira, one one sentence for um, IoT, mostly for good. What do you see? Is it already uh, being most, de- mostly? Defi- definitely mostly for good and even more for good if, if there's more of a transparency about how it's okay. being used and people take the time to understand it. Good. I like that. Everyone, if you love the idea of IoT or you're not so sure, you want to tune in for the rest of this series. And you can go to the business channel at World Talk Radio, a.k.a. VoiceAmerica.com. Look for the coffee cup logo in the schedule and find the words Internet of Things with Game Changers. And that's where we are. This replay will be available in a couple of hours. Again, David Stevenson from Stevenson Strategies. Thank you, Ira Burke. Thank you. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. And a shout out to Justin, our engineer at World Talk Radio today on the business channel. Thank you, Justin. And here's my call to action. And I don't know if you have IoT in your seatbelt, but whatever it is, fasten your damn seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Participate. Engage. Be you. Think about what you want. It's your city wherever you are in the world. So go out and be a game changer today and put your seatbelt on. Signing off for another edition of Game Changers Radio. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.